Well, good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. It is so good to see all of you. Um, many of you, again, uh, it feels like I've been hanging out with all of you all week uh, over at the Oktoberfest. Uh, we will have a video kind of highlighting some of that um, in, in the coming weeks and, and just to say thank you. Uh, but we did want to bring just a little bit of, a, of Oktoberfest flair so that you all could appreciate it this morning. Um, we did, if you didn't notice, get second place booth uh, this year. And uh, I, I had someone come in this morning and they're like, so are you like okay with second place? And I am for this year. It's like our first year. So second place, we'll, we'll take that. We'll take runner up. But next year, we got to win. Like, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we know the expectation. So anything less than grand champion next year will be an utter failure. It was, in fact, a great time, and uh, for all of you that came out and helped, uh, I know this was our first time foray, our first foray into that, and, and you all were great, very patient, and, and it was good to talk to some of you. So, so you all know, um, I, I just feel the need to, to qualify this. We did this, yes, so that we could make money. Like, it, it was a fundraiser, but understand that that was actually a secondary goal. The primary goal of us being involved in Oktoberfest in such a key way and building a huge church with a I don't even know how tall steeple that you could see from just about anywhere, the, the intent of that was to be the, the light of Christ. If we'd have sold no if we'd have sold no pepperoni rolls and all we did is create connections between one another as the church and create connections with the community, this would have been a win. And so this was an unqualified, unlimited success. We constantly, you know, Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but pepperoni rolls is a good place to start. But what we were doing was being the hands and feet of Jesus. We were being good neighbors. At least we were trying to. We were talking to the stores around us, talking to the booths. We had chances to pray with people while we were there standing on the street corner. It was, it was an amazing opportunity for us to be an integral part of what this community is and what this community does. And, and I hope you... Those of you that were involved enjoyed it and tell everybody so that they come and join us next year because we are doing this again um, and, and we hope you'll come and join us. I do want to take just a quick moment and thank uh, Pastor Nathan, uh, Jean, Aaron, and Tim. Um, without them, uh, this would have been much messier than it was. And uh, they, uh, at the beginning of the week, I was like, look, we are closing the office, so I don't expect you to be at Oktoberfest for the whole of Oktoberfest. But since you're not in the office, you should be available if I call and say, I need your help now. And none of us left the Oktoberfest, or we, if we did, it was for small pockets. And I would say that on the whole, we didn't leave Oktoberfest because we didn't want to miss anything. Um, there was so much fun going on and so much conversation and connection with you and connection with the community. And so thank you for all of you that were a part of this. We do want you to know that we do have some pepperoni rolls available via Thursday. So we will be selling them for $10 a bag following the service. I kid you not, there is a cooler out there. And so if you'd like to buy some pepperoni rolls... We will slang those things today. Go ahead and grab you some on your way out, and we would be happy to sell them to you. I'm also keeping these one up here because if any of you start falling asleep because you were out too late for Oktoberfest, I will chuck one at you, all right? <laughs> Looking at you, all right? 
It is a free one, that's right. We're going to come take it back. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we turn our attention now to the Word of God. Father God, you are so good to us. Lord, beyond anything that we deserve, and God, we are just so grateful. We are grateful for this community in which you've placed us and for the chance that we have to be light and to bring life into the world. We thank you for the chance that we've had over the last several days, Lord, to interact with different businessmen and women in the community, different, um, d- different leaders in our community, for the chance that we've had to uh, hopefully be a blessing to our community and to the people that were here. Lord, we thank you for all those that volunteered, whether it be to roll pepperoni rolls or to come out and sell pepperoni rolls or to set up and to decorate or to just spread the word. God, we are so grateful. We have such a great church body here and um, Lord, uh, a body that has owned the, the vision to be a missional community in community of Seymour and beyond. God, we pray that you would just cultivate the seeds that were planted and make them grow. May we keep these connections and relationships, and Lord, may we see fruit come of it. God, now as we turn our attention yet again to your word, Lord, I pray that you would guide us and direct us, Lord, that you would speak through my meager offerings today, that you would keep my mind clear and on topic, and that you would help us to see your truth and to be called deeper into relationship with you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, have you ever been asked a question or had an offer made to you where you thought, okay, that's too far, right? Like, like the, there was a, a line, and, and anytime we're talking or dealing with one another, there, there is a line of what we can handle, of what we would call appropriate or inappropriate uh, interrelational communication, where, or, or even with jokes, with conversations, I'm sure that we all have, where, where we hear something and we're like, okay, that was just a, a step too far. We crossed the line there. Well, I had, one of those, I, I had one of those opportunities this week. Of course, it might be too far for you, but it wasn't for me. As we were at Oktoberfest, I came over on, I think it was Friday morning, and we, we did all of our setup for the booth, and I went in and, into the, the local shop nearby, and I went and changed out of my jeans and my sweatshirt, and I put on my lederhosen, because that's what a good person does at an Oktoberfest, is they wear German clothing. So I go in, and I put on my lederhosen, and, and it, listen, I was on the struggle bus, I'm not going to lie to you. I must have put on a little bit of weight, bought them a little tight, but they were super tight on your boy this year. So I'm back in the bathroom, and I put on the lederhosen, and I'm like having to do like the shimmy to get them on. I get them on, and I suck in, I get the buttons buttoned, and then I'm like, well, now I got to put on my boots. So like I'm trying to, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like I'm trying to get on my boots, but I don't want to break my pants, right? So I'm like, I'm doing one of these numbers, and I fight, and I finally get my boots on, but I can't tie them. So I'm like, we're just going to go with the kid's style today, no tied shoes. And I go walking outside. And as I walk outside, I'm just like thinking to myself, did I buy the wrong size? Is this just how like lederhosen are supposed to fit? Do Germans just like really tight leather pants? Is that what it is or what's going on? And as I walk out, I look and walking up the road is the expert in all things German, the guy that owns Schwarzer's Restaurant. And, and he comes walking up and he's got his really nice lederhosen. And so I'm like, hey, bro, um, I got to ask you a question. Are your lederhosen really tight? And he's like, nah, why? And I was like, because mine are killing me. I was like, but listen, fashion over function, 
I'm going to wear them all day, but I just, like, is there any way to stretch them out? What can I do? Because this is just too much. And he's like, no, man, that, that is what they are. And he said, uh, mine, are actually, mine are actually too big. I got to wear a belt, and I got to pull them up. And I was like, man, these are just way too tight. And he goes, you want to trade? <laughs> and I'm like, Nah, man, like I just, I bought these on Amazon. I bought the nice ones. I bought the expensive one on Amazon, but they're still on Amazon. And, and you know, they've got the good inlay and whatnot, but yours is like raised and real nice. It's like, yeah, we got them in Germany. And I was like, those are nice, man. And he's like, well, they don't fit. Like if you're going to wear them every year to Oktoberfest, we can, we can trade Lederhosen. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we walk back in the shop. Dude I met two days earlier, we traded Lederhosen and went back about our life. And, and I, so I told that story all week, and I'm thinking to myself, as I'm telling certain people the story, I'm like, maybe you shouldn't tell this to everybody as I share it with the whole congregation. <laughs> I'm sure for most of you, like, you're not incredibly surprised, right? <laughs> but I was thinking about that as I'm telling the story. What makes that story so funny and fabulous is, is that it does, in fact, typify how I work, but also that that is a step too far, right? Like I, I met that guy just a few days earlier and next thing you know, he's wearing my pants and I'm wearing his. <laughs> like that's a special level of relationship and connection that me and that gentleman now have. I have worn his pants, like forget walking a mile in one another's shoes, we walked a few miles in each other's pants. But I kept thinking about that. I actually was thinking, I don't have an illustration. And I was like, yes, you do. That's asking too much. You don't just walk up to someone. And I walked up to him and said, hey, you want to train pants? That is asking too much. Hey, give me your German high dollar Lederhosen, and I'm going to give you my medium dollar Amazon Lederhosen. That, that is an unfair trade. That is a, a step too far. Maybe asking, he, he clearly was taking the L on that one, as evidenced by the fact that they ripped out the next day. His, not mine, meaning the ones he was wearing. But it's asking a lot, isn't it? To ask someone, hey, do you want to trade pants? Because yours don't fit, mine don't fit, here we go. For most of us, it'd be a step too far. And, and we deal with those situations where sometimes what's asked of us is a little bit more than we're comfortable with. What's asked of us is a little bit farther than we're willing to go. What's asked of us is a little bit more than we're willing to give. And, and I think that we lose sight as we talk about stewardship and giving and what Christ expects of us as far as our whole life and what we offer to Christ. We, we want to sanitize what Jesus asks of us. We want to make it palatable. That's why we focus so much on what Christ gives and offers to us, and we kind of avoid what Christ is asking of us. And we talked about that last week. We're going to look at it again this week, because once again, Jesus is not just asking for a part of who we are. Jesus is not asking for a part of what we have. Jesus is asking for the whole farm. He wants it all. And in the text today is a passage that we probably all know about, but we, we don't talk about in church because Jesus asks too much. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 18. Luke 18, starting in verse 18 and going through verse 30. And it says this, 
Luke 18, 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You should not commit adultery. You should not murder. You should not steal. You should not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, the man said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. And Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed it, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we've left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus asks a lot. Last week, Jesus said to us, as we looked at the text, Jesus said, if you don't hate your father and mother, your brothers and sisters, your wife and your children, then you cannot follow me. Jesus says, look, if, you're, if you don't hate your own life, if you, if you don't count your own life as being worthless, if you're not willing to give your own life and, and give up the comfort and convenience, the perspective and priorities of everything else in your life, if you are not willing to put them on the altar and make them subservient to me, then you're missing the point. You're not really following me like you should. Woo! Jesus coming in hot, Luke 12. Here we are in Luke 18, and Jesus is still going strong. Same book, people. Same book, just a few chapters later, and Luke's like, we're going to hit this again. Make sure the people in the back heard what was said. And Jesus does, I would say, take it a little bit further. Now Jesus starts with the, the same basic premise is there that, that's been there throughout, and it's the premise throughout the gospel, and it's this, that entrance to God's, something that we've got to keep in mind as we consider this, that entrance into God's kingdom is always given, but never earned. Entrance into God's kingdom is always given, but never earned. You might say to me, well, how is that in this text? Jesus didn't say anything about that. But did he? I mean, the man comes to Jesus in verse 18 with a question. Man's question is, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Something that we've got to keep in mind as we approach Jesus and as we approach our faith is that when we come to Christ or when we start with the wrong question, we're likely to come to wrong conclusions. When we start with the wrong question, we're likely to come to the wrong conclusions. 
Again, what is the man's question? The man's question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question itself has some cognitive incongruencies, doesn't it? Maybe you don't see them, but as I think about the question, the, 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 the different operative words here don't actually go together. What must I do? The man wants to know what effort he can put out there to validate himself. What, what, what kind of thing, what kind of action, what kind of sacrifice, what kind of, what kind of whatever it is. What, what can he do in his own strength? What can he do in his own holiness? What can he do with his own effort, with his own hands, with his own mind, with his own heart? What can he do to make sure that he's good? Uh, this is a man that's well off, right? I mean, this is a man, the passage tells us two things about this man. That, that he is a leader of the people, right? This is a man that has position, and this is a man that has prominence, but he's also very prosperous. He's wealthy. The man is incredibly wealthy. He's incredibly well man. Th this is a man who's used to working his way up in society. He's used to getting what he wants. He's used to, to, to moving things around and making things happen. And so he's considering what he's hearing from Jesus and the kingdom of God, and he's like, I, I want to make sure I'm good with that, so what can I do? Tell me what I can do. So we're going to see here in a minute that the answer to that question is not a thing. But the, obvious, the answer to that is obvious when you read the second part of the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Brothers and sisters, what can you do to inherit anything? What can you do to inherit anything? Really, in, in truth, nothing. Inheritance is completely at the power and discretion of the one who is making the will. I mean, you can ask for what you want, right? You, you, can, you can do all the best things that you can do, but ultimately, whether or not you get what you want is completely in the hands of the one who owns the thing that you want. It is, in, it is in the hands of the distributor, by, by their will alone, right? That's, that's, Jesus says, Jesus sees the, the, the inconsistency here. The, the immediate answer, what can I do to inherit, the immediate and obvious answer, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what can you do to inherit anything? Nothing, sir. <laughs> there is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life. But it also reveals a bit of problem in this man's thinking, in his mentality. There's a bit of mentality, entitlement mentality going on here. That he's entitled to what Jesus has to offer. He's like, hey, how do I get my share of this? How do I get my piece of this? How much, how much is it going to cost? You, you tell me what you need. Very transactional. You tell me what you need. What do I need to do? What do you need from me? And I'll... I'll give it to you, and you give me what I'm wanting. As a native-born Israelite, particularly one as, quote, good as him, this question is just working out formalities to affirm what he already knows. 
that because he is a son of Abraham and a leader in some synagogue or in the, the leadership of the people of Israel, he deserves this. It's the thinking of the older brother and the prodigal son. I deserve this. I've served the Lord. I've served God. I've done what he's asked of me. I d- this is mine by right. I'm just asking because it's my, it, it is my inheritance. I deserve this. Well, he, he didn't intend to do anything from the first place. He just wanted affirmation that he was going to get his. This is a problem that comes out even today amongst us fine church people. We think our faith and our righteous living somehow puts us in a position of power where God somehow owes us something. That God must then give us what we deserve. That God must give us what we have earned. Brothers and sisters, that is not what we want. Because we have earned nothing good which is why the fact that salvation is a gift of God by grace through faith alone and not by any of our works is a glorious, glorious thing. Because we, in fact, do not get what we deserve. God owes us nothing. And nothing we do, say, or give puts him in our debt. Everything he gives to us is by a gift of his grace and by the power of his will. Jesus corrects this man's poor theology. And Jesus reads into this something that that I, and maybe you, wouldn't have. Because think about it, Jesus doesn't address the improper question first, right? I mean, I would be like, that's just a dumb question, sir. You can't do anything to inherit anything. You got to be born into the family, maybe. But even then, they can give it to someone else. There's nothing you can do. It's just a bad question. Jesus doesn't start with the bad question. Jesus starts with the wrong address. Good teacher. Jesus says, hey, no one is good except God alone. There's actually a point that Jesus is making here. Hey, flattery will get you nowhere with God. Flattery, doing this service thing, jumping through the hoops, uh, doing all of the the right things and hoping that we can impress God by our goodness, that that God will then give us what we deserve. Again, not what we want, but it's not how it works. Jesus tells them, good teacher, good teacher was not a common address at the time. You can read scholarship, and, and scholarship was like, this is not something that you said because it was well known that no one was good, that no one made the cut, that, that it was only through the sacrificial system. That's why you had to sacrifice early and often. That's why they had to clean their hands 175 times a day because they knew they were dirty, both literally and figuratively, spiritually. They knew that there was dirt on them, but they thought if they could do all of the right cleanliness things that it would take care of them. So the theological position of the day was even what we see here. That's why we see it with Paul. Paul didn't just pull that out of nowhere. He was a Pharisee. Like, he took his Pharisee theology and he, he looked at it through the lens of Jesus and now we have this. Like, that, you're, no one is good. Paul didn't just make that up after coming to Christ. He knew that. 
Jesus says, no, no one is good. Why do you call me good? Jesus reads the situation perfectly. And what he recognizes is this, that the man was not concerned with the goodness of Jesus. The man was concer- concerned with validating his own goodness. It's like when we see someone that we know that, that they are a higher up, they are a position of power, they are a, position, they are a person of means, and, and we want to get in good, right? We, we don't come in hot, we come in and we, we give a little compliment. And secretly, inside, we're really not that concerned with letting them know how much we think of them. We want them to think good of us, Right? We, they know how good they are, right? They, they don't need us to tell them that. We're telling them that so that they know that we know that so that hopefully they will think that we too are good and will let us into their circle. Why do you call me good? Christmas just down the road. Reminds me of, it actually reminds me of the, the, the movie A Christmas Story. You know, in the movie The Christmas Story, you got Ralphie, and he wants his Red Rider gun, and he's trying to think of how can I get it. And, and he gets assigned this assignment in class, and he's like, that's it. I am going to write the best paper ever in this academic exercise. I am going to lay out the best arguments, and my teacher is going to read it and going to have to call my mother and say, you got to get Ralphie this gun. Read this beautiful work of literature that Ralphie has written. It puts all of the reasons there. This is a, a wise man, but Ralphie does not want to leave anything to chance, right? Ralphie doesn't want to leave it out there. So as Ralphie's coming into class one day, everybody's going up to the table, and they're putting their apples on the teacher's desk, putting their apples on the teacher. They want, to, they want her to know that they appreciate Here's a gift, right, an apple, because every teacher, that's just what they want for Christmas is an apple, They're putting all the apples on the desk. Ralphie's like, nah, not me. And Ralphie walks up there and slaps a a whole fruit basket. Bam! She moves it to the side, and he's looking there, pleased with himself. Ralphie's concern with the basket was not communicating how much he appreciated the teacher. He wanted the teacher to appreciate him. That's what this man is doing. He wants Jesus to appreciate that, that he recognizes how good Jesus is, so Jesus will recognize how good he is. And Jesus is like, I'm not having this. You're starting from the wrong point. You don't even only have the wrong question. You have the wrong idea in mind. No one is good except God alone. Jesus is not saying that he himself is not good. He's saying that man is not good. Yeah, this is not it, buddy. <laughs> you are not it. This is not it. Jesus subtly, if not so gently, provides a clear answer to the man's question. No one makes the cut. No one is good. God alone is good. Everyone else falls short. Entrance into God's kingdom can't be earned. Only received by grace and faith. Now that, that, is, that is the starting point for good stewardship. The starting point from good, for good stewardship is understanding that anything that we do for, give to, or accomplish for the kingdom of God is not to earn our own approval. Y'all with me? No, it was Oktoberfest and we're all tired, but I want to be clear about this. That when we give in the offering plate, that's not so that God doesn't become angry with us. When we serve, 
in what the church is doing or, or we share the gospel. That is not so that God's not upset because I didn't do my job in the kingdom of God. No, 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 no. God, God's already taken care of that. His wrath has been covered by the work in the shed blood of Jesus. Anything that we get to do for or give to God after that is gravy. It should be seen as a pleasure and a gift. But the conversation goes on with Jesus in this man. Hey, Jesus, no one's good except God alone. They have this whole conversation and Jesus reveals something that, that's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around. That it is possible to live the letter of God's law while failing to meet the standards of God's love. It is possible to live to the letter of God's law while failing to meet the standards and requirements of God's love. Jesus tells the man, no one's good except God alone, but we'll, we'll walk down this path. He says, you know the commandments. He's like, look, God, God has given you the instruction, son, for how he wants people to live. And then Jesus reminds the religious elite man of a specific section of the Ten Commandments. Those commandments are, you shall not commit adultery, that's number seven. You shall not murder, that's number six. You shall not steal, that's number eight. You shall not give false testimony, that's number nine in the list. And honor your father and mother, which is number five. Jesus takes five of the commandments and says, hey, you know the law. You know, you know what God's word says. You know what the good book says. Do these things. It's interesting, though. Jesus only highlights commands concerning how the man loves his neighbor. He doesn't mention the commands concerning how he loves God. He doesn't mention the commands about having proper respect for God. Rather, he starts with, how are you treating your neighbor, buddy? You know the commands. Mr. Prominent Leader, Miss Elite Religious Man, Mr. Good Man, you know what the rules are, right? You know what God asks of you, don't you? You know what it says. Don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie, honor your father and mother. The man looks and the man's like, done and done. Got it. So I've, I've done that since, I've, I've followed all the commandments since birth. Since I was a boy, actually, is what he says. Now, we got to understand that this man is not saying since he was born, since he was, uh, you know, a toddler, that, that he understood and was acting out and living according to God's law. He's actually saying, since I reached the age of accountability. In, in Judaism, there was an age of accountability. Now, it's known as bar, bar mitzvah. That's not what it was called then. But there was an age, it was usually around 12 or 13, where a man became a man, but was still a boy. So what the man is saying is since I was legally required and legally accountable to God's law, I've done it all. Got it. This is on lock, Jesus. Done it since I was a boy. 
The man felt confident in the merits of his own actions. Done what was required as long as it was required. But I do think it's interesting that Jesus focuses not on the, the, our relationship and, and the way we approach the divine, but how we approach the terrestrial. Not how we approach him above us, but how we approach those that are on the horizontal plane around us. And I think there's a reason for that. It is easy for us to honor an almighty, holy God who we don't really have to interact in a, in a real world sense. It's easy to, to, to honor and recognize the transcendence of a God who can control the universe and to love that God, especially when that God is doing so much for us. It's a lot harder to love the fool who lives next door and won't mow his lawn. It's a lot harder to love the person who drives 22 miles an hour down the road in a 30 miles an hour zone while you're late for work. It's much harder to love the person who comes into your store, your place of work, entitled and talks down to you and disrespects you but still needs help. It is much easier to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength than it is to love neighbor as self. Jesus focuses on, like, how, how you love a neighbor, homie? How you love a neighbor? I'm doing it. Checking the boxes, Jesus, since I was a boy. Jesus reveals to the man, we can do and have it all and still miss the mark. In fact, we usually do. Because what we do is we take God's commands, which are good, and we make them about us, which is bad. Jesus tells the man, brother, you still lack one thing. You got to wonder if that man is like leaning in. Like I already told you, I've done the five that you mentioned. I got this. One thing, I can handle that, Jesus. What you want from me? What's, I just asked you. You're going to tell me what's the one thing, what's the one thing I must do to make this happen? One thing you lack. Look at verse 22. One thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasure in heaven and then you come follow me. You, come back, you go sell everything you've got and you take care of every poor person in the city. Then you come follow me and we'll talk. That's way worse than saying, do you want to trade Lederhosen? <laughs> right? Like, Clearly, my, in my exchange, I got the better end of that deal, but we're talking a matter of like 40 bucks. Jesus is like, go sell your fortune, go sell your house, go sell the form, and give all that you have to the poor. Then, then we'll see that you've got it. You want to be good? Go do that. Then you come follow me. Woo-hoo-hoo. Come on now. We want to read this and say, well, this is just a story. Je- Jesus is... Jesus is just being figurative, right? Jesus, Jesus doesn't really want you to go sell your stuff and give it to It's not what Jesus is asking. Brothers and sisters, I'm not going to tell you that today. Maybe Jesus is saying that to you today. That for you to be a faithful steward, that what God wants for you is to sell some of your stuff. To give more money. I don't know. 
I don't know. I know lots of people, though, that have been sitting in church hearing about missions and hear God call to them, and they go and literally sell everything and move and live in a hut in Uganda. So I'm just going to say, I don't know what God is asking for you. We're going to look next week in part two of this with Zacchaeus, because interesting flow of story here we want to look at. But I don't know what God's asking. I want you to know this, though. God could ask you for that. And I think we need to think, if, if that is what God's asking, are we willing to give it? This man has done all the right things. Jesus says, hey, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. You'll have Man lived according to the letter of the law and failed to understand God's love. Understood God's word backward and forth, knew what it said, and was able to jump through all of the religious hoops and still ended up at the wrong place. Is that not terrifying to you? I mean, seriously, is that not horrifying to you? Because I read this story, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not feeling like, like God's not calling me to sell my, my, my guitar this morning. I don't think. And I would really prefer he not, right? Like, I love my guitar. But do I love them too much? Do I love them more than the mission that God has given me? And let's, let's, make it, let's not make it ethereal and nebulous as if, do I love my guitars more than I love my neighbors? Do I love my stuff more than the people that God has called me to reach? The failure of this man was rooted in the prioritization of his possessions and his wealth, of his own position, and a marginalization of the needs of others. You know, in fact, it was true that the man had met the minimum requirements, but he failed to allow it to change his heart and form the foundation of who he was. This is my concern as a pastor when I preach about things that I ask you to do, believing that that's what God has asked me to ask you to do. That we would come to the conclusion that if we just do some things and we offer Jesus some stuff and we offer Jesus some time and we give Jesus some love and we help some neighbors, that it will be enough. That if we check the boxes and we meet the minimum requirements, we will get the maximum reward. Because that's what we want, isn't it? We want our relationship with Jesus to inconvenience us as little as possible. We want our relationship with Jesus to, to, to change and uh, adjust our identity and how we're known in the community as little as possible. We, we want to serve and love Jesus. We want to accept the gift of salvation. We want to be known for following Jesus, but we want to do it in a way that doesn't make us look foolish. That makes sense in a human, from a human standpoint. But brothers and sisters, read the Gospels. Following Jesus doesn't make sense. Paul himself says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who have found eternal life, it is the wisdom of God. It's often said, show me your checkbook and your calendar and I'll tell you what truly matters to you. Show me your checkbook and your calendar, 
and I'll tell you what truly matters to you. Now, if you're like me, you're sitting there saying, that's harsh. <laughs> that's a bit narrow. Tell me it's not true, though. Tell me, not, tell me that it's not true. You show me your calendar, and I can tell you how you're spending your time. I'll tell you what you love. Tell you where you've been, all the games. Man, your kids really, really matter to you, as they should. Your job, you were at Oktoberfest selling pepperoni rolls all week. You really, your, your job really matters to you. Your church really matters to you. You, you, were, you were, whatever. You, you get what I'm saying. Bunch of different things. You, you show me that checkbook. What are you investing? What are you spending your money? If you're willing to spend your money on it, it matters to you. And you might say, well, I got a, electricity don't matter to me. It doesn't? Like, you don't like having heat? You don't ha like having lights? I get that it's just because it's something you need doesn't mean that you don't want it. Like, when the air conditioner went out of the church, I'm going to tell you what, I heard a lot about how much you guys really wanted that. <laughs> Reality check, air conditioning costs money. Like having lights when you come into church and sound, you want to be able to hear? Sound system costs money. Those nice pews, they don't stay clean themselves. We got to pay someone to clean. It costs money. Moth, that's a different message. You're going to hear that one in a couple weeks. Don't skip either. Just gave you, keeping that a secret, Mark, I apologize. I just let the cat out of the bag. The man, the man's response, Jesus says, hey, go sell all you own. Give to the poor, then come back and follow me. And what does it say? The man became very sad because he was very wealthy. The man's response reveals the truth of his heart. Man was less concerned about serving God and doing what God wanted than he was getting what he could get from God. The, the man was not concerned with elevating and making much of the goodness of God, but validating his own goodness and making sure that good things awaited him. But Jesus makes a, it is very dramatic, but Jesus makes a very clear point. That sacrifice is a key component of kingdom living. Sacrifice is a key component of kingdom living. It is, in fact, a central tenet of following Jesus. Sacrifice and service. It's what we see in Jesus and what Jesus calls us to as well. You can't take it with you, right? That's what they all say. You can't take it with you. That's true. But I'd like to submit to you that how we hold to what we have while we live can serve as an indicator of where we're currently heading. I'm not saying that we get to be judges and say because someone is rich that they're going to hell. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the way that we hold to our possessions, the way that we hold to the, the things that God has given to us, the way we prioritize that, or the way that we prioritize our call to serve God with our lives and to sacrifice and to suffer and to serve for the sake of the gospel, it does indicate there, there's a stark contrast, isn't there? If I'm holding on to all of my things because I want to take care of me and mine, rather than serving and giving of what I have to care for the cause of Christ and the community in which he's placed me, it's going to show a, 
a bit of a mix-up in priorities. Because sacrifice is key. Jesus says, look, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There's much talk and debate about what Jesus meant by that. Like, did, did Jesus mean that, is he actually talking about the, the, the gate, the eye of a needle, where the, there was a gate into to Jerusalem where camels, in order to get in with all of their wares, they had to get down on their knees. And the camels, which I would love to see this, just by the way, camel had to get down on the knees, and they had to, like, army crawl the camels through the gate in order to sell their things. And, and so it... It wasn't actually impossible for the camel to get on, but it took a lot of effort. So some scholars are saying, well, that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is talking about this gate, and he's talking about the difficulty that it's impossible for a camel to get in there unless the camel kneels. And it's saying then that if, if we just kneel before God, that we can work our way in. But I, I'm going I'm to submit to you that it cannot mean that. Because then it still gives us hope that we can work our way and squirm our way on our own. I think that Jesus is actually literally meaning you take a needle and you look at that bad boy and you look at the camel and think, how am I going to get him through there? For my next trick, ladies and gentlemen, observe a regular sewing needle. Observe the eight-foot camel. Here, boy, the camel's going, mm-mm, not today, no. We tried this yesterday. It did not go well with my brother. I think Jesus literally means you take a needle, you look at that thing, you say, see how hard that camel right there to get through here? And the guys, people sitting there goes, how can anyone get into heaven? Jesus says, right? With man? Impossible. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. I like to say this. What is impossible for us is just a random Tuesday for God. It's just a Tuesday. Why do I say Tuesday? Because is that not the boringest, most ordinary day of the week? It's just standard operating procedure for Jesus. And that's why Jesus is calling him, hey, look, go get rid of all the things that are coming between you and me and just come be with me. That's what you need to do. Leave all that stuff behind. You come live with me. Go on the road, and I'll show you what this kingdom life is all about, and it will be glorious. Man looks at his wealth and says, I can't, I can't do this. God continues to make his grace available to us and even though we continue to be distracted and disobedient, he pursues us and offers, us, offers to give us what we need if we would humble ourselves and accept his gift of life and love. Sacrifice, though, is hard. Service isn't always glamorous. Both work against the world's definition of success. But if we truly understand and accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is nothing of greater worth. Jesus in Matthew 13, 45-46 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's out looking for fine pearls. And when he finds one, when he found one of great value, he went back Left the, he left that pearl on the counter and he goes home and he sells everything he has and then he goes back and takes that money and he buys the one pearl. 
This is the illustration of the gospel for us. We should be willing to sell the farm, whatever it is, every piece of it, every part of everything we have, and we should be willing to go and, and pick up this thing that is of greatest worth. And anything that gets in the way should be put to the side. That's stewardship. Everything should be put on the altar to achieve the ends and the aims of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be willing to make any investment to do what Christ has called us and to join him in his work. Not so that we can save ourselves, but because we get to be a part of what Jesus is doing. We get to sell what we have and come follow Jesus. We get to offer what we have that that is just earthly that we can't take with us to take people with us. That's the treasures in heaven. You all do know that, right? That the treasures are not that we get to have a glorious mansion in heaven. I hate that terminology. A mansion is just a place that you live. And if all we're concerned about is having a bigger mansion in heaven, we've just superimposed our sinful earthly ideas onto heaven. Shame on us. Who cares where I live in heaven? Give me a cardboard box, but put a lot of cardboard box with all you fine people around me. We will have the nicest cardboard box neighborhood in the kingdom. And we'll be having the most glorious campfires, sharing pepperoni rolls and telling stories about how that neighbor and that two boxes over got there because we stood out in the freezing cold and the rain selling pepperoni rolls and praying with people who were hurting. Because we gave of our resources to build a crazy looking little white church shed so we could be salt and light in the world. Because we gave of our resources and made 250, 275 pumpkin pies to give to people who we may never meet in the name of Jesus. The, the, the longer I live, I, listen, I, I, I struggle with stuff just as much as that. But the longer I live and the more I see God do things, the more I'm willing to sell off the things that I thought mattered because I see what matters more. You all, this church continues, and what we continue to do continues to challenge me. And I continue to think, how much farther can we go? And I do ask, how far is too far? And every time I see that line, I think, I'm stepping over that one. Ain't no imaginary line going to keep, I'm going to keep stepping. We're going to keep stepping over line. We're going to know, what does God's word say? And we're going to live according to that. Don't mistake what I'm saying. Jesus said, what are the commandments? What does it say? We're going to keep that in mind. But, But with that framework, everything else is inconsequential. It doesn't matter if the world thinks it's asking too much. We're going to take that next step. How crazy can we get? Not just so that we can be crazy, but because we want to see people come to Christ. Not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give, and how can we leverage those investments, whether they be financial or time or effort, how can we leverage those investments so that more people can come to Jesus? We don't earn our salvation. We receive it from God, but following Jesus does require us to offer our lives as living sacrifices in response. Jesus says, Peter says, hey, look, Jesus, we've done this. Jesus, we actually left everything. Like G- Peter's like, look, remember, Jesus, I was working. I was running the family business with my brother, and you came and said, hey, boys, come follow me. And we were like, done. And we packed up the nets and left our dad with the boat, and we came and followed you. We left our families. We left our livelihoods, and we came and followed. Jesus, we did this. And Jesus is like, hey, no one who has left home or wife, or brothers, or sisters, or parents, or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come. He says, Peter, 
This is one of those instances where you get it. The question is, are we willing to sacrificially surrender our all? Or, or are we still holding on to things? Are we not willing to take that next step? Is Jesus asking just a little bit too much for you? For, are we as the church asking too much from you? Our sacrifice in this life and in the next will pay eternal dividends. Jesus says that clearly. Jesus may or may not require us to sell all that we have as he did this man. But it all is to be available for his purposes and for his glory. As Paul says, we are to offer our very bodies, the entirety of our lives, as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. For this is the only reasonable act of worship. This is the heart of stewardship. Not just asking, how much money do I have to give? Just 10%, right? It's a good starting point, and we'll take it. Just 10% of my time? We'll take it. It's a good starting point. But Jesus requires us to make it all available. To put it all out there. And I hope that we'll end up being kind of like the staff of this church was this week. That yeah, it's, it's supposed to be available, but... But what God is doing is so much fun. And it is so exciting to be a part of it that we just can't walk away. We just feel compelled to give more. This is why, again, I stink at these whole giving services. I don't know what you give, and I truly don't care, so long as we can pay our bills. My kids like to eat. But I don't want you to think that if you just give the 10% and you give a little bit of time, that that's what Jesus wants of you. That is not what Jesus wants for you. Jesus wants it all. Very clearly illustrated with his man. Go sell it all, then come and follow me. Go, go, you got to hate your fathers and your mother, your brother, your sister, your wife and your kids to come follow me. Jesus wants it all. He wants the entirety of our lives to be oriented, our resources, our time, our talent, our tra- all of it to be oriented on how do I, we make his kingdom available to the world and make him known and make his salvation great and available. That's it. Are we willing to give our lives for that great cause? Because if we are, our resources should go with it. May God reveal to us what he is asking of us today. Next week, listen, please come back. <laughs> please come back. Notice, I'm not telling you, I'm not handing out cards and asking you to, to say what you're going to give. We're going to land with, you are to give what God has placed on your heart and you're to give it with joy. Spoiler alert, that's where this is going to end. We are going to tell you what our bills look like so that you know, because we think you need to know, and it's going to be worth your time. So please come. But next week is going to be part two of this sermon. Because I noticed as I was studying that this story goes from Jesus telling this rich man, hey, go sell all you own and come and follow me. And the rich man going, nah, fam, I don't think so, and walking away. And then you, in in connection, we go to Jesus healing a blind man, right? Then what's next? This is all in, Luke puts these in order for a reason. And we see the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is a man, and Jesus says, hey, come down, I'm going to go to your house. And without Jesus asking... Zacchaeus says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell 50% of everything I own, and I'm going to give it to the poor. And if I've done anyone wrong, up to 400%, I'm going to pay them back. 
Tell me Zacchaeus didn't go bankrupt. Tell me. I think the stories are connected. And we go from this story of the rich man who says, no, I don't think so, to a rich man who says, please, let me give you what I have, to Jesus saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is like a person who is going away to become a king and gives his resources to his servants and says, hey, do something with this while I'm gone. I think they're all connected. And I think it's of great importance to us. So please come back next week. Am I going to be mean to you? Yes, I am. But understand that I, listen, I talked about my own guitars, right? I, I, that wasn't just a joke for, for a laugh. It's something that I struggle with. Am I being responsible with my resources? I don't think I've done anything wrong. But if those things are keeping me from doing these other things, then they are a problem. So I, I just say all that to say I am evaluating my own life, that everything I am saying to you, I have been saying to myself for two weeks now. Welcome to my misery. You just get to suffer with me now. May we offer our all to Jesus. May we be willing to literally sell the farm in order to make much of him. May we understand that he alone is good and that he has graciously offered us his good, in his goodness salvation and eternal life. Father God, I thank you so much for your goodness and grace and I pray that you would impress upon us the glory of your love and goodness. God, that you would remind us of these great commands to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as self. And Lord, may we remember that if we are not loving neighbor as self, that we are not loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, may there be nothing that keeps us from you. May we constantly be seeking ways to offer our lives and our resources all the more to you and may we with gladness seek how we can give of ourselves and our resources to your cause, to your kingdom, and yes, Lord, to your church. Work in and through us, Lord. Take our lives as we offer them to you in Jesus' name. Amen.